This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. From the Headstuff Podcast Network, welcome to the world according to Wikipedia, the podcast that explores the weird, wonderful and baffling world of Wikipedia, the people who write it and what makes them tick. With me, Fanula. And me, Rebecca. In this episode, we will talk to Evelyn Hadel, also known as Scan, a member of Creative Commons who has worked with Open Glam Projects for a number of years. Scan has worked in similar area to your doctoral research, hasn't she? In fairness, you could probably say that about a lot of the people we've talked to, uh, given that I looked at Wikipedia quite broadly in some ways, otherwise probably not so much. But yes, giving consideration to the power of cultural collections that can be incorporated into Wikimedia projects, as well as the interaction of glam professionals in Wikipedia, there is some definite overlap there. Someday we are going to talk to you about you and Wikipedia. But that day is not today. No. So what is today's topic? For this episode's interview, we are focusing on some of the issues with Wikimedia Commons around representation and what can be done to improve that. But also more thorny issues about historical images that are now quite problematic due to inherent racism, sexism or other unethical depictions. Also, how and when images are used to illustrate particular articles that could either consciously or unconsciously perpetuate stereotypes or other discrimination. Hmm. Sound like that could be a very difficult area to navigate. It is, and it requires people from all over the world, from different countries, communities, genders and identities to be involved in the conversation, which obviously is no small or easy ask. Yeah, and with Wikipedia, Wikipedia being like tending towards white male, at least for like it's improving, but like historically... You know, it's a, an uphill struggle, I imagine. Yes. And actually, one of the things that we'll include as kind of an example of how different language Wikipedias can reflect the same subject. Mm-hmm. So this is just, if we just look at the images and we ignore the text for the moment, we'll include links to um, the article on climate change in Africa in its English form and then in its Spanish form, which is the, the article that Scan wrote, and look at the different images that are used and where they're used in the article, and you'll see a little bit of what we're talking about. Okay, interesting. We will link to that in the show notes. Once again, Rebecca, I am forced to ask you, what is this episode's rule? And make it a good one. Okay, so there is a Wikipedia rule that asks established editors not to bite the newbies. No vampirism. Got it. Sigh. Audible sigh. I should have anticipated an answer. I really should have. (laughs) In this context, we are not worried about Dracula and his kin. We are worried about new editors being treated in abrupt ways that have been, that have come to be referred to as biting. Ah, so like jumping on every error on an edit, no matter how tiny, that kind of thing. That's it. As a new editor... And not knowing all the various not rules, 
uh, norms and conventions, you might be editing in pure good faith and not get it quite right. And if an established editor just rolls back your edits rather than trying to work with what's been added or, you know, not explaining to you why an edit has been reverted, then that is known as biting. And generally being a bit terse and not giving newbies a wee bit of slack. Basically. Okay. So is there kind of like a procedure to, or not a procedure, procedure is probably the wrong word, but how do you go about like instilling or um, espousing, you know, supporting, promoting the no biting rule? Mostly it's calling out other editors when they bite, to be honest, um, asking them to assume good faith and perhaps to reach out to new editors when it looks like they're making genuine good faith mistakes. It's as easy as that. There are editors that make it their business to welcome new editors to Wikipedia if they notice somebody editing Wikipedia mm-hmm. you know, articles that they watch. Um, there is also a format called the Tea House, which is somewhere where new editors are are encouraged to ask questions and that hopefully they would get an answer quite quickly or somebody would be able to guide them and the problem that they're having. But there isn't, yeah, as you say, there isn't like a formal, Yeah, it's just generally seen as kind of bad etiquette. Yeah, yeah. There's no disciplining of people who bite. It's just, you kind of... Yeah, and I know. Yeah, and a lot of people will be quite critical. You know that long-established editors will perhaps get away with an awful lot of this Mm. kind of poor etiquette because they're seen as a net positive to Wikipedia, but they are kind of perhaps toxic is probably a strong word, but they're probably not great at the community part. Right. So they get away with it, Uh, and possibly if we were more inclined to nurture the community rather than just focusing on the content or always focusing on the content, you might be more inclined to come up with procedures to indeed, yeah, 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 have repercussions for being a constant biter. Cool. You don't want to be the bitey kid, basically. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically a group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all we also had a bit of comedy as well you know to get y'all laughing get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in so y'all sit back and just you know enjoy the show as Jib said we're the Prince of Mott podcast you can find us on all streaming platforms including the Headstuff Network We are now going to talk to Scan about her work with Creative Commons and issues regarding images and representation on Wikimedia projects. Hello, everyone. My name is Evelyn Heidel. People also know me as Scan. Um, I'm originally from Argentina, but I'm currently living in Uruguay. I've been uh, a long time advocate um, and activist on free culture things and uh, Creative Commons and Wikipedia, etc. And I'm also right now a member of the user group Wikimedistas de Uruguay. And we're, uh, we are delighted to have you. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, yeah, thanks for inviting me. So we're going to get, we'll, we'll go right to the heart of the matter. Uh, you know, when you're talking about Creative Commons licenses, and we were discussing this beforehand via email. So looking at images, you know, it's often talked about, especially when we're talking about glams and that, like the donation of images is talked about, you know, wholly in positive terms. Like this is a great thing to do. But what are some of the potential ethical issues that you've encountered around the reuse of images uh, on Wikipedia, but also other uh, Wikimedia projects? 
Yeah, I, I guess that I should have also said in my introduction that I used to be a big part of Open Glam. <laughs> so that explains the question better. Um, but in a way, I think that some of the issues that we have encountered are, so the first one, of course, is like legal, whether these institutions actually have any rights over the digital reproductions of public domain works. Uh, that's the first big question. And then there are questions that go beyond the legal question and are more around, well, is it good? Is it a good idea to use this image for illustrating this subject? Or should I try to think twice whether like this is gonna be appropriate, right? And that includes like different categories of works. For example, sometimes it could be, you know, traditional objects that were made by indigenous communities, um, works that have been, um, you know, extracted uh, from their countries of origin through colonization and uh, violence in general. Um, and so there are a lot of questions around how one is supposed to use those images or works, even when they have been for long in, in what we would have known as the public domain. Yeah, and the kind of wider conversation of of taking public domain, which or copyright law, which is very much a Western construct, and applying it to communities and cultures for which this is not not part of their culture and part of their understanding of of cultural objects. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is also a hard question because, like, some of the things that, and and it is also a hard question because it creates like a lot of room for exception to, right? And we know that some uh, glam institutions sort of like put the burden on this works as saying like, no, we cannot do anything open access related because we have some of these works. Um, and for some institutions, it's like, well, you know, and I mean, this has happened a lot with also some European institutions. They are like, well, we have nothing to do with colonization. And it's like traditional knowledge is not a thing for us, right? And like that doesn't fully <laughs> tell the whole story around some of these cultural objects and how they actually ended up being in, you know, European museums. Um, because you might not have like, you know, traditional knowledge works or traditional knowledge objects, uh, but some museum institutions and some glam institutions from Europe definitely have the byproducts of colonization or some other uh, way of violence, of political violence. And I think it's very hard for, um, and like that sort of gets entangled into an open access conversation. And it is very hard to be able to separate the two and be able to navigate, well, you know, like these things are in not a gray area and there are other, and there are a lot of other things that are in a gray area and we need to account for those. So when you've been kind of engaged in that, that open glam work, um, what was the, the greatest misconception that you found glams had around the use of say creative commons licenses and, and allowing image uh, or other media reuse? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so I think that uh, there there are some things that are actually like <clears throat> kind of a, the lack of a common understanding on what open access means, right? Um, I think that's the first one. And I think that every institution has sort of like taken their own flavor on open access. Um, and that's good in 
one way in the sense that, you know, you want to also allow some flexibility for institutions to be able to define their own policies in ways that are actually like good for them, right? Um, but at the same time, it also creates some confusion. And I think the biggest misconception here is that um, most GLAM institutions tend to think that because they steward the work or the object, they immediately or like they have some rights, like particularly copyrights over the object or work being steward. Um, and I think that's like the biggest misconception, right? Um, and th that is like more prominent in some institutions than in others. Of course, like big institutions that might have like legal staff or rights and permission staff, like don't usually see it that way. Um, but the problem is that those institutions then have more incentives or, or more like desires to try to keep some copyright over those works because they, um, you know, they, they sort of see how that might benefit them from a more like economic business mm -hmm. side of things, right? Um, and I think that's like the biggest battles that we have to fight, right? Like the, 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 this conception that you have rights over the work just by virtue of stewarding it. And then when like people know that that's not the case, well, sort of trying to explain them why it is a good thing that uh, those digital reproductions of works actually go into the public. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, it's that physical. There's generally some kind of, I suppose, protectionism to a certain extent of, of collections that goes on. Yeah, and yeah. like for for good reasons, you know. And I think that in some cases, it's also like true that you know institutions are grappling with a lot of uh, work, and they are not necessarily like. Copyright is not necessarily their first concern, right? And mm. <laughs> this is something that some commons users might be <laughs> surprised to hear, right? Um, but not all people think that copyright is so important as to be talking about it on breakfast over breakfast. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know any of these people who don't talk about copyright <laughs> over breakfast. I don't know who these people are. Um, <laughs> that you bring you bring us right to the next question though like um so when we're talking about and we talked a little bit about this with with Dimmy in our in our kind of conversation about trying to grapple with all these different types of copyright law from all around the world and of course wikimedia commons is attempting to being an international project it is trying to i suppose house all of this material that it perhaps you know comes from all these different jurisdictions and you know what can we do perhaps what can wikimedians do and what can the Kind of wider community do to improve the situation that perhaps has ended up with not an ideal interpretation of what can and cannot be hosted on commons um so let me be frank i my position on wikimedia commons is that um the copyright situation there right now is a big hot mess that's that's kind of my position <laughs> um i think there's a, like there's a lot of things that have been decided as kind of like the community has decided that they are going to accept those norms. And sometimes it's like, well, but you know, like you might be more, um, you, you might be more cautious than you actually need to be from a legal standpoint, right? And in some cases they have sort of defined, um, you know, tools, 
by themselves, like ways in which they interpret like some tools. And since the whole platform is community consensus, like some of the things that are like consented by the community are not necessarily like legally correct from like like some basic understandings around how some of those tools work, right? Um, For example, like whole discussions around how the public domain mark, which is a tool that CC has, works are are actually like well yeah you might be right about some of this but like this is not what the the intended use of this tool so therefore like you should not reinterpret it through a community norm um and i think that there are reasons why the foundation and like i haven't talked about this with anyone at the foundation but i'm guessing that there are some reasons why the foundation sort of decided to you know, not exercise um, a lot of oversight of what the copyright conversations are on Wikimedia Commons. Um, and it, it has created a lot of like very strange situations, right? Um, particularly for GLAMS, because what we see is that, you know, um, the, um, for example, like the Wikimedia Foundation has this statement around digital reproductions of works that says that, they believe that in the US, um, these works are not protected, and which is fine. They are probably right around that. I mean, like, not like there hasn't been any case in the uh, Supreme Court or anything that would say that. But you know, the sort of the way in which the cases have been going around this issue in the US pretty much signal that since there's no like not not a, there's not a lot of creativity in these digital reproductions then they they don't have any copyright so that's the position that the foundation has taken on this and they have decided to you know like using these arguments and users of course have like uploaded photos that might um have had a claim but like by a glam institution that they are in copyright using this argument um, and then the problem is that we treat like other institutions that like sort of voluntarily agreed to release their works, even when they are doing it with a wrong license that actually claims copyright, like we don't put that same statement, like releases a work with a CC by uh, share alike license. Well, CC licenses are copyright licenses. And so the fact that the institution is releasing it that way it's in a way making a copyright claim. But since they are more willing to kind of release the work because they are signaled through this, that CC license, like we don't touch them in a way, you know? Um, I don't know if I've made myself clear, uh, but I think that's kind of the one of the problems that I see. I think that's the most common thing that I see that, um, that- you know, say uh, an institution that holds artwork that's, you know, 200 years old and has decided to go, quote unquote, open, but all of the digital artifacts are available under a CC BY SA license, you know, 4.0 or 3.0. And in fact, all of those images, you know, the, the artists are dead 150 years. So the, the artwork is in the public domain, but I suppose it is that it's a step towards open that I suppose misinterprets what you are articulating when you use a CC license like that. And that you are kind of, I suppose it's it's a level of allowing a certain amount of comfort that 
this the I suppose some of the fear around public domain is that then there's no attribution. So the there's kind of a, a you know that that divorcing of the image from the holding institution is just a step too far for them. Yeah, but that's not a copyright problem, right? And mm. I think that's like half the battle with, with some of these institutions, right? And I think that the the kind of the interesting thing about the CC licenses, uh, in a way, and like all this, you know, even like these releases uh, being done through Glam Wiki projects and whatnot, right? Is that the most important thing that we always need to remember is that, yes, CC licenses are legal tools, but they are also, in a way, like social contracts too, right? Um, and as social contracts, like the most important thing that CC licenses are communicating is your willingness to share and mm. your, you know, kind of requirement from like the other part that is using that work to kind of share back. Um, and I think that that's the main challenge um, for some institutions to actually like understand how like by just signaling good intentions and just by signaling to like the public that, you know, this is what we want to, how we want to be acknowledged, you might get more than just by saying, you know, oh, well, this is all copyrighted because I don't know how to make this attribution work for me. Yeah, yeah, and and I suppose it is being part of, as you're saying, uh, kind of that that reciprocal relationship. You know, there's a certain amount of trust on both sides, and it's an institution kind of placing trust within the wider, you know, community that's going to reuse the objects. But you know that that trust then go, you know, comes back to them. You know, that they hope that it'll be paid back to them uh, in some way. Which I think is really oh. Yeah, and I, and I think that this has created a lot of misunderstandings, right? <laughs> it's like, because, of course, like the moment that someone that is more or less well-versed in copyright sees that an institution is claiming copyright over like a 200-year-old work, then their relationship is sort of broken, right? Already, even when none of the parties have started a conversation, right? It's like, oh, you know, it's like, I already think that you're doing something wrong. And when you're approaching it from that, like, principles perspective the conversation gets way so much harder than if if it were more like you know oh we did this we weren't fully aware of what we were doing it and kind of think ways in which those mistakes can be corrected right or can be remedied in some way or another right that's a really I think that's a point that perhaps museums or glams in general don't really think about like the, the impression that they give when they are you know, that protective or that restrictive in their image licensing that actually, uh, as opposed to perhaps looking like they're being very strong guardians of this content, that they're, they are being, you know, that they're this impression that they're giving this, like, well, if you're putting restrictive copyright on this work, then kind of what else about your work that you're doing perhaps is not terribly well informed or, or so- something like that. Yeah, it's just that that external impression I don't think is reflected upon uh, within within glam institutions. Yeah, and and I think it's it's also, you know, sometimes it's born out of like reasonable fears. Um, and I think like th- this is something that needs to be respected. Um, but, you know, fears, like the best way to fight some fears is by, you know, um, kind of going through and acquiring some knowledge about some of the issues, right? Um, and like see that there's there might not be a reason why to to fear in in some cases. 
she was incredibly interesting. And it was an area that I hadn't really considered to be problematic. Like we, we've been talking in the past about making things available for Creative Commons and kind of using the photographs and eight, like um, other glam institutions making their their stuff available. And I'd never thought about the nuance around that, around how those could, should then be used. If you know what I mean, I thought that was kind of very, very interesting. And I think there's a wider conversation and a lot of the countries in South America are engaged in this around decolonization mm-hmm. of museum collections and what depictions historically there have been. And perhaps even though you can publish an image under an open license, should you? Uh, and this comes up, historically, has always come up around medical collections, you know, the idea of ethics, especially if somebody is identifiable as a patient and, you know, perhaps their living relatives would find a distressing image of that person, that kind of thing. Um, or perhaps descriptions of pathology or mental health or something like that. But I think kind of, yeah, bringing that out further and starting to interrogate ethnographic collections through that lens and that there isn't this, you know, and, and it's an upending again of this idea that museums were objective and neutral and, you know, weren't embedded in the the colonial uh, machine. Yeah bringing that kind of reflective practice to it. They're like, actually, yes, there are layers and layers of, you know, problematic content within this. And you get a glimpse of it with uh, some of the Irish stuff because you would get, you know, racist cartoons and xenophobic cartoons from, say, The Punch and, mm. you, know, you know, American um American magazines and, and newspapers of the 1800s when you were seeing these waves of Irish immigration. So you get hints of it there and, you know, how those, you know, rather than having, like, say, an image taken by an Irish photographer that, you know, might have been an American photographer who came, you know, like a John Hines type, yeah. Yeah. you know, and taking these very staged photographs and then you kind of get into the stage. So you can take, you know, that's a very familiar context for Irish people. And you kind of think, well, that treatment is probably for anybody outside of yeah. America yeah. or the UK or Australia. You can see how that could unfold. Or even like within um within community like within let's say the US, I presume that there would be, you know, photographs taken of people in the Appalachian Mountains or things, you know, that where it would be from a look at this strange tribe kind of uh point of view as opposed to somebody from within a community taking photographs. Yeah. Um, so it's all about this other yeah. um and similarly like yeah. you know people say, I don't know, going to parts of Detroit or uh, you know, as say a white person. Oh, yeah. going to particular areas of, of the US uh, or other countries and then taking photographs and not having the ideas of consent and, and then taking the extra layer of problematic and where is that image used on on, on Wikipedia? What article, you know, is it about crime uh, or is it about juvenile delinquency? And, you know, the un- unconscious coupling then mm. that we have of particularly people from particular areas of the world being problematic in some way from a white perspective. Um I had something, uh, a, a kind of a reaction similar to that when I, this isn't like uh, traveling into to a city, but it was, it was in Belfast. We did, uh, when the first time myself and my other half went to Belfast on holiday, we did one of the bus tours because you do like a bus tour in a city. And uh, it felt really weird because like in Belfast, that history isn't history. If you know what I mean, the stuff that they were taking you around was modern. Like it wasn't like, 300 years ago here is this castle that a king made it was like here is this uh, street where there's a whole load of um 
uh, murals and look, there's somebody putting up a new mural now. Like it felt really intrusive in a way that I just wasn't like, it felt very uncomfortable. You're kind of like, these are people living their lives and you're what, just no, really. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not too dissimilar to, you know, those grand exhibitions where they'd set up the village yeah. and populate it with some natives. And they did with, the, you know, they had the Irish, yeah. the twee Irish village. And generally it was to sell something, you yeah. know, it was to the turf or soap or whatever it was, uh, whiskey. you know, and whiskey, you know, and, you know, this idea that this was this genuine quote unquote experience. Um, and just trying to kind of think, well, actually, no, that's that's all. Yeah, that's all bunk. And where do we go from there? Yeah. Which is, you know, not an easy conversation to have. No. And it, like there are so many different viewpoints as well. Like there's kind of like, well, should there be like if if there's no representation, is that better? Or, you know, like wh- where is the and, but obviously you want the communities involved. You don't want somebody deciding it from outside the community. You would want to be involving people who are directly impacted. I mean, that's kind yeah, of. Yeah, because you don't want this, you know, the white knight, yeah. the white saviour. Yeah phenomena and all of the misinterpretation that can go along with that very Deep. very interesting and again the, and, and i will do this because uh, it has been very warm here in dublin so i did not get everything that i needed to get done this weekend uh, mostly the editing of the extended interviews to put up on our uh, headstuff uh, uh, podcast the plus um section uh, we have all of the extended interviews from season one of our podcast are up there uh, the, all the extended interviews and I am in the process of uh, just making sure the final edits are done on the interviews from this season and they will be going up over the next few weeks um, and we have an extended interview of, with Scan as well which is very interesting just a continuation of what the, was under discussion um, so if you want to get that uh, you need to subscribe to Headstuff Plus um, with your five euro a month plus VAT uh, it's a bargain really if you think about it um, and choose us just as the, the the podcast that you love the most. You can choose other podcasts. Other podcasts are available, but uh, we're the most you're important. You're here. You're listening. Yeah. If you have your five euro plus fat free of a month, yeah. this is a place to put it. You're supporting a whole community of, of creators and, and makers and uh, just interesting bods from Ireland and from and have come to Ireland to to make us a more interesting place, um, and you are supporting that, but you're also becoming part part of that community. Mm. You know, you have access to not only our content but all of the back catalogue and all of the extra content that all of those other shows are putting out there. So if you're stuck on your holidays uh, and you don't have anything to listen to, you're just cooking yourself on a beach somewhere, or in your staycation where you haven't left your house because that's what you should be doing. Otherwise, I am going away. Well, that beach could be anywhere. The beach could be down the road. <laughs> the beach could be down uh, the road. Be, it's true. It's true. For me, it could be Dolly Strand, yes. you know, and you're going to cook yourself for a few hours, but your, your brain wants to keep going. So why not tune in to Headstuff Plus? Yes. I feel sometimes that I repeat myself. So I try to make it a little bit interesting. But I can't because I'm not actually interesting. So I just have to say, who is this episode's hero, Rebecca? We got to come up with just like five to ten different ways of saying saying it. We can just like swap them out each time. And then people can have some kind of like bingo card. Um, 
Which one did you say this time? Just I'm not very good at it. Like this is this is the problem in D and D as well when I play a bard. Like I can think of songs in my head as soon as I'm on the spot, gone. But we only need ten variations, and then you could swap around those ten, and then you don't repeat within one. Oh, season. that's true. So. Yeah, for the next season, we we can work on that. Yeah, You're clever about this. Anyway, things. back to the thing. Episodes here. Yes. At the moment, there is a campaign. Shocking! Yet another campaign on, on Wikipedia. I know, uh, going on called Wikipedia Pages Wanting Photos, or WPWP, which is all about getting good photos from Commons into relevant Wikipedia pages, or even encouraging people to upload new photos where no photo currently exists. And, you know, going on what we were previously discussing, these photos should probably potentially have no ethical issues attached to them. I do love this project because having access to a large bank of images that are free under Creative Commons is useful for a lot of reasons. I've used those uh, photographs photographs from Wikicommons uh, when I was doing my uh, HDIP. Um, I took a lot of photographs of castles and bridges so I could train an AI to distinguish between them. But where else was I going to get like 2,000 images of castles and 2,000 images of bridges? Wiki Commons, amazing. With the metadata associated with the categories and tags and everything, exactly. So a huge part of this particular campaign is focused on ensuring that all those high quality images, like the ones you were just talking about, that have been uploaded through competitions like Wiki Loves Earth or Wiki Loves Monuments are actually used across Wikipedias and other projects like Wikidata. Often the volume of images during these campaigns can be quite large. So encouraging people to use tools like PetScan um, to find articles with no lead image. So it'll tell you, look in particular category, it'll tell you all these articles here have no image in them means that these images can be used to their full potential. And as of the 15th of July, 2021, 52,000 Wikipedia articles in over 250 language Wikipedias have been edited as part of this campaign. Oh, wow. That's a lot. And it runs it runs to the end of August. Okay, so, you know, you can do this too, people. But it's, uh, uh, so the, the, the kind of the function of this campaign is to match images with content. Exactly. Okay. So there's lots of different tools. There's lots of different ways of either finding lists of articles that have been tagged as having no image, or as I said, using PetScan, which will tell you this, you know, so there's no lead image, so there's no image at the start of the article. But equally, there's also tools that will show you. So all of these wiki data items have an image associated with them, but these language Wikipedia articles associated don't. So say you can look at just French or Spanish or, or English, and then you can just literally, it's just a, a case of clicking into that image and bringing it over to the Wikipedia article. Yeah. As simple as that. Brilliant work all around. And it's a bit of fun as well. Well, nerdy, fun. <laughs> that fun that I like. Um, I've been working my way through one specific category called Streets in Dublin. And there are a lot of streets that are just described as Dublin, mostly by, I imagine, tourists or people visiting the city. So no other identifying information right. to go along with them. Uh, so I've been trying to match them up and to see what street they actually are. And if it then can be used in a Wikipedia mm-hmm. article, relevant one, it can be slow, but quite satisfying when you match them up on Google Street View. Nice. So you're kind of building a view of Dublin through the photographic age. Yeah, in a way. And there is that wonderful bank of images from the National Library of Ireland the, on the Commons mm-hmm. project. And all of those are on Commons. And those are fantastic images. Lots of um, main streets from all sorts of towns around the country that all could be used very well in relevant Wikipedia articles. What's really interesting about the Dublin ones in particular is that so many parts of Dublin have changed so much in 20 years, but then others really haven't and are just as readily, uh, like the 2003 picture, like could have been taken yesterday. Right. Uh, but there are a good few that still remain a mystery to me. Uh, and I suspect 
um, that, you know, these are all south side because there'd be dragons on the south side <laughs> for me. Uh, You're a north sider. It's all a gray area. <laughs> Definitely a spiritual north sider. Um, but I think what I might do is a bit of a Twitter experiment is start posting them to Twitter and see if people can recognize some of these streetscapes and see if we can get a little bit of better uh, metadata associated with them. Very cool. And that was the world according to Wikipedia. Join us in two weeks. You can subscribe to us in your podcast player of choice. Follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. Thanks to Patricia O'Flaherty for our artwork and Headstuff for production assistance. Go to headstuffpodcast.com for show notes, more information and to support the Headstuff Plus network. generally nice anyway i'm generally lovely despite what my other half says i don't oh he just maintains that i'm evil um, <laughs> and i think greg would probably agree that i'm evil inclined um, i'm not even evil inclined he's clearly the evil one in our relationship but he fools everybody by telling them that i'm evil i'm not evil this show is part of the headstuff podcast network a hub for the creative and the curious Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.